about how it tells, it's a book of beginnings, but it is so full of who God is, his mm. character, how, I'm sure you'll get into it, but uh, teaching the kids, I love the book of Genesis because it's, it just tells a lot about who God is. Yes, a great deal of the character of God. All right, over here, Brother Staring. I will enjoy reading uh, the life of Joseph. There's so much we can learn about. Mm. No matter what we're going through and how long we're going through it, God's working behind the scenes all the time. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you can see the hand of God and sovereignty of God certainly at work. Is the handheld, is that picking up? I'm not um, necessarily hearing any miking on that. Anyone else, when you think of Genesis, you think of? Okay, that'll be fine for now. We will might use that in a little bit later, Joe. Um, we're going to read the first 10 verses. Like I said, we may not get into um, these verses specifically. We'll see how, how we go. Um, but we're in Genesis 1, 1 through 10. And uh, I was wondering if we had a couple readers here. Genesis 1, Amanda's 1. Do we have another one or two? All right, Esther. Uh, and Deborah, okay, we'll have it be a, a ladies' reading time today. So, um, Amanda, why don't you do one through three, and Deborah, you do four through six, and then Esther, you do seven through ten. And we are reading Genesis 1, one through ten. Okay. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time here. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is holy, it is true, and it is ever good. As we look at these verses, this passage and this book is very foundational, and it's foundational in our own hearts and in our own faith. It's also very foundational for our world and for those that need you in salvation. And I pray that our study and learning of it would not only strengthen our own hearts, and cause us to rejoice in you, but it may also prepare us to be better equipped to interact with those who are very atheistic or uh, evolutionistic or just have very different approaches to reality. And we ask that your word would bear fruit, not just in our own hearts, but in those that we would talk with and minister to as well. We love you. We thank you for creating us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the book of Genesis... The name is taken from the the Latin, and it means origin. Um, There's some other titles that have been given to it um, in older editions and in other places. Sometimes it's called the book of creation. Sometimes it's called the, get this, first book. 
how, how original, right? First book, um, some call it the book of formation. The Jews sometimes use the first Hebrew word as the name of the book, and it's something like berith or berith, and it simply means in the beginning. That's the, the phrase, in the beginning. So um, very similar, that's what Genesis means, is origin or beginning. As we think about the book as a whole, um, I want to first say that our study that we're going to be doing is going to be focusing on Genesis 1 through 11. So, you know, maybe at the point when we finish chapter 11, we, if God would lead, we would continue, or we may do a different series. Um, years ago, I did do a study in the life of Abraham. Abraham's story starts in Genesis, well, end of 11 into 12, so that's right around where that picked up. Um, we'll see how the Lord leads at that point. But, um, but these first 11 verses are, or chapters, excuse me, are the first half and the second half. And Abraham is the key figure of the book, humanly speaking. But um, as was mentioned before, God is foundational and is obviously in every book of the Bible, but even more so when we think of Genesis, you see the hand of God in history, the hand of God in creation. And so God is kind of, you know, when we think of where we are, 2023, Genesis was the, the beginning of this story that has, you know, wound its way all the way down to here. And, um, you know, Paul Harvey used to have the radio show called The Rest of the Story. And sometimes that rest of the story was things that happened after someone did something. But there are other times where the rest of the story was things that happened first. And I think sometimes we, we have a better grasp or understanding of, you know, the cross and of Jesus. And some of these things, especially depending on your background, you may have a lesser knowledge of. And so studying this may be the, quote, rest of the story for you. Move the whiteboard. That's a good idea. Move it more this way. Get it in the camera. That look better? That might be working for everyone. What's that? Twist it now. All right. We're going to get this right, folks. We're going to get it so right. How's that? Is it shining off of it? Is that what's going on there? Okay. We'll try that. Um, yeah, so the rest of the story. But as we look at the book of Genesis, I wanted to share a breakdown that I, I had never seen before. I mentioned 1 through 11 and then 12 and following. This 1 through 11 leads us up to Abraham. And once we get to Abraham, we start having a lot more detail, a lot more you know, specific stories and a lot more in-depth laying out. And you have Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and then Joseph. And so there's a lot more figures and family. And obviously, Abraham is a key figure. But the time, what are the, the basic elements in Genesis 1 through 11? What do we have in these? these? Creation, chapters 1 and 2. Then we have the fall. Very good. Then what's next? The flood. Very good. And then we have one more thing before we hit 12. Babel. The Tower of Babel. All right. So these are like the four, if you're breaking it down, these are the four main areas we're going to be studying in the series working through each one of them in order. But there's one other thing that's quite prominent in the book of Genesis that we've left out. Does anyone know what that is? Well, he's wrapped up in flood, or the, the flood, there we are. Cain and Abel, that's true. He's, he's in there, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Genealogies. You thought you were joking, but you got the answer correct. Genealogies. Now let's see if I can spell it. Genealogies. I might have gotten that right. I might have gotten it wrong genealogies. And that's what I actually want to show you as a breakdown of the book. So look, if you would, at chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4 tells us what? These 
are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. All right? So can I have some other help reading? Who can read chapter 5, verse 1? It's going to be real hard. Chapter 5, verse 1. Alice will read that. Who can read 6, verse 9? Timothy, read 6, verse 9. Okay? You can read 5, verse 1. Alice, go ahead. Okay, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Did he raise his hand back there? All right, go ahead. All right, and 10, chapter, who can do 10, chapter 10, verse 1? You get where I'm going with that. Esther. Okay, Shemham Japheth. And I'll just save us a little bit, but chapter 11, verse 10, these are the generations of Shem. Chapter 11, verse 27, these are the generations of Terah. Chapter 25, verse 12, these are the generations of Ishmael. Chapter 25, verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac. Chapter 36, 1a and 9a, these are the generations of Esau. Chapter 37, verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. And what we have in all of these verses is a record of descendants and of generations. And so when we think of the book as a whole, it is very much a record. And many times we think of it as straight history, but we also need to think of it as genealogy. And maybe even in the idea of think of Genesis as one big family tree. And God is giving us a record of creating humanity and then the development of that. And specifically, the family tree that he has peculiar interest in is the line of Abraham and the Jewish nation. So leading up to that, you know, we still have a record of genealogies. Now, um, when we work through them, I probably won't have a lot to tell you about each name and, um, you know, great significance. But the point is, is that every one of these names that we read in this book was created by God and was a part of his story. And he's unfolding that uh, together. All right, another way we can break down the book is to think of it in terms of geography. So chapter 1 through 11 is one geography. Chapter 12 through 36 is another geography. And then 37 to the end is another geography. So let's do 12 to 36, 37 to 50. What is the general geography of Genesis 1 through 11? Garden of Eden and Noah, and that all took place in what part of the world? Where? The Middle East. That's a really good broad answer. That's right. Um, and so specifically, uh, some people have called it Babylonia, um, Babylon, we might say. But it's th that area, that region where the, the four rivers come together was where Eden was. The flood, Noah lived in that area. So we kind of have a, a, a movement geographically in the book. So... You're right, that's not spelled right. That's not spelled right at all. B-A-B-Y-L-O-N. All right. I was getting a funny look, and it was a spelling look. So this is Babylon. So what region is 12 through 36? Israel, right. And that's a very interesting choice of word, because at the time, it was not their land. But now when we think of it, we would call it Israel or is Israeli land. Um, one uh, resource I was using called it Palestine. Maybe not my favorite term, but it, it gives the, uh, 
the location, all right? Israel, or Israeli land, we might think. And then where is 37 to 50? In Egypt, right? So we do see a geographical kind of breakdown of the book as well, where different parts of the book are focused in different parts of the world. And in a way, I don't know, I, this kind of jumped out to me a little bit too, but in the middle of the book of, of, of Genesis is this focus on the land of Israel, and then they go out, they go to Egypt, but then they come back, right? But if you look at it on a map, Babylon is on the right, Israel would be in the center, and then Egypt is more to the left. And these two regions, even to this day, don't like Israel, right in the middle. And in future history, this area is, will be the center of the Antichrist and his hatred of Israel. And so, and then it's just interesting how that's in the middle, and even today there's, they're sort of still in the middle, and, and they're right in the middle of God's plan as well. So, um, another thing that we see here is that in chapters 1 through 11, we cover a lot of generations of people. 20 generations are listed in chapters 1 through 11. So, from Adam to Abraham is 20 generations. From chapter 12 to 50, only covers four Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, right? So we have those four generations in much greater detail than the prior. Uh, let's see here. The central character of the book, as I have said, is the Lord himself. And in a way, the lead up with Genesis 1 through 11 is just to get us up to Abraham. Remember who, uh, this is a good question as we get started too, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses did. And um, the Bible indicates that in reference back to it when it says Moses recorded or Moses said. And um, so the Bible indicates that Moses wrote the book and Moses wrote it as the head of the nation of Israel. So the truths that, that happened in the book of Genesis up to Exodus, you know, the first part of Exodus before Moses wrote this down, the question some people have is, well, how did Moses know what to write? right? How did Moses know what to say? Well, there's two answers to that, and the first and the most important answer that any Christian needs to know is this. The Holy Spirit guided him about what he should say, period, right? Period. Now, how that happened, it could have taken several different ways, secondarily or humanly speaking. So, it could be that these truths were passed down orally with storytelling and people saying, now, this is what happened, this is who our God is, I mean, even if you think about it from this angle, I mean, Abraham, when he first came to Israel, he offered sacrifices to the Lord, right? Well, he didn't have a book that said, now, when you offer a sacrifice, make sure you offer a lamb and do it this way, and, right? He didn't have a book like that, right? Well, how did he learn to do that? Well, we understand that there were people before him that had loved God and known God, and there was a passing down of things orally. There may also have been written things, some sort of written record that was not technically inspired or preserved like we think of scripture, but something that he could have heard and had recorded from before. The point is, is that what God preserved and what God authorized is what Moses wrote. And how he got it is somewhat irrelevant, but, you know, it's maybe a little nice for curiosity, but that's about it. Um, one more thing before we start looking at some specific passages there is a comparison and a contrast, I don't know if you remember this, to the book of Revelation. And somebody, who was saying at lunch or somewhere, is that you talking about Genesis and Revelation or two battleground books? Somebody was talking with me about this. Oh, was it Matt? 
That was, that was Matt. Matt was saying how when people come to faith or when they oppose the faith, so often they end up talking about Genesis and Revelation and how they're very foundational. And he's very perceptively accurate in that. Um, now, let's just talk about how there is a comparison and a contrast going on. These are not every comparison or contrast, but these are a couple that I really like. In Genesis, death enters into the scene. And in Revelation, death departs. And death is defeated, cast into hell. In both the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation, we have a tree of life. And with the fall and with the Garden of Eden, the tree of life is like a problem almost because God wants to keep Adam and Eve from the tree of life. But in Revelation, the tree of life becomes a blessing for the healing of the nations, right? For everyone to enjoy. It's not um, a problem. It's actually a blessing. Um, Again, we have Babylon built in Genesis and we have Babylon defeated in Revelation, kind of like we mentioned earlier. We have the first marriage ever with Adam and Eve, and we have the final and enduring marriage with Christ and his bride in Revelation. Um, We have the first heaven and the first earth in Genesis, and we have the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation. So there's a lot of great um, contrasts and comparisons there with with these two uh, books. All right, I do have a few scriptures that I'd like us to look at, and they're not in Genesis 1, because when we read Genesis 1-1, we read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When we look at that verse, it's the first verse of the Bible, and many times we think it's the first verse of all time, or of of consecutive time. Um, In other words, we think it's the first verse chronologically speaking. But there's a few other verses that I'd like to look at that lead us up to Genesis 1-1. So, do I have a couple readers here that could read for us? All right, Brother Pastor Jeremiah, if you would read Psalm 90, verse 2. Do I have another? Joanna, if you would in the back read John 1, 1. Um, Deborah, if you would read 1 Peter 1, verse 20. Uh, Esther, did I see your hand? Isaiah 45, 18. And Brother Starin, if you would read Hebrews 11, 3. So uh, these are verses that in a way, in one sense or another, are either simultaneous with or prior to Genesis 1-1. So, let's begin with Psalm 90, verse 2. Okay, that verse teaches us that there is something before the beginning, right? What was before the beginning? God. God who is outside of time. We'll talk about that a little bit more. John 1-1. Okay, so in the beginning was, and there again, this is saying that God existed, but specifically it's teaching us that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, he was God um, prior to the beginning, in the beginning was. Um, so at that beginning point prior, <laughs> um, and, and it's almost a stretching of language there to try to say, uh, to explain reality there. First Peter 1.20. Okay, this who was truly foreordained is Jesus Christ. So not only was Christ, the second person of the Trinity, always been in existence, but before the foundations of the world, Christ was already ordained to be given to us as a sacrifice for sins. That is really important theology. 
It's really important because sometimes the way it's explained is as though the fall took God by surprise and he had to scramble and come up with something to do. No, that's not how it unfolded. The Bible says before the foundations of the earth, before creation, he was already foreordained to be our sacrifice. Um, Isaiah 45, 18. Okay, this is more simultaneous with verse 1. But I want us to see in Isaiah 45, it says two things. God did not create in vain. That is some good theology. And then it says he formed it to be inhabited. That tells me God created with purpose, with intention. He had a plan and he worked out his plan. He did not do it in emptiness. He did not do it on accident. But it was very intentional. And um, this will be talked about more as we uh, go through Genesis. All right, Hebrews 11, verse 3. Okay, and we might reference this again in the first couple of verses, but this very clearly brings some truth that we need to connect to Genesis 1.1. It says, by faith we understand. And... This is very important studying Genesis, the account of creation. As we have faith in God, as we have faith in Scripture, we understand. And faith and understanding go together here. And uh, that's vital, and that's why some people have such a hard time, is they do not believe. So by faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the Word of God. The word worlds there is plural, and... uh, it may mean like the planets, the stars, the worlds, or it may mean just broadly the universe, right? All that is, was formed by the word of God. We'll see that here unfold in Genesis 1. And then it says, so that the things that are seen were not made of things that appear. Um, So the idea is that what God made, he didn't make what we have out of something else. He made what we have out of nothing. And we'll see that unfold as well. All right, in verse 1, um, I actually have a couple other verses here. Um, let me just read these. I won't have us turn there. A couple others are this. And um, it says, And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Acts 4.24. John 1, 3 says, all things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Also, in Psalm 104, verse 30, we read, you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. What we see with these verses, it took me a second to um, jog my, my thought here, but in verse 1, we have, in the beginning, God. And each of those three verses references a different member of the Trinity being involved in creation. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. So we have God being the creator God, every uh, member of the Trinity being fully involved in creation. And in the beginning, God moved. God took action. God created the heaven and the earth. Um, Let's see here. Got to switch this. 
there's a lot that could be said about this verse. But the Bible does not try to explain the existence of God. It doesn't try to defend the existence of God. It just says it. In the beginning, God. And if we understand this term beginning, and we understand the idea of God, it tells us that God existed prior to the beginning. Um, it says, in the beginning, God created. And so we have God existing before the beginning. Well, what, what other word will we use to describe beginning? What genre is this? Beginning. It's the genre of time. Right? This is a point in time. And time began when God created time in the beginning. And so God exists outside of time. And just in these first four verses, five verses, five words, excuse me, five words, we're already starting to go, right, with our brains. Like, how do we have no time, right? Like, what does that even look like? No time. But we have, to have time, you have to have a beginning. And so God created time. He created the clock. He created things that happened before and after each other. In the beginning, God created. And this shows us that time had a beginning, but it also shows us that God was before time. And even that word before is a little strange to use there, but um, it means that God existed outside of time. It also tells us that um, God has no beginning, because this is the beginning, right? This is the beginning. In the beginning, God. So God himself has no beginning. He's not created. He didn't come into being. Um, he was not made. Rather, he has always existed. And the other thing that I think this all kind of teaches us is that God is separate from his creation. Now, to us, we might say, oh, that's kind of obvious. God is separate from creation. But let me... Let's talk about this for just a minute. To a Protestant, a lost Protestant or a Catholic or something like that, they wouldn't argue with this in the least, right? But people of other faiths have a very hard time with this concept, specifically those who are polytheistic and pantheistic, because they understand that God is in everything. They'll say, God is in the chair, and God is in you, and God is everywhere. He's the one all spirit being, right? He's everywhere and in all things. Well, this actually shows us that God existed before time, before creation, and that when he created, he created something that wasn't himself, right? He created something else. And so God is separate from his creation. And again, to us, it's kind of obvious and, you know, okay. But to them, that can be a very foundational and a very important truth. So God is separate from his creation. Um, in the beginning, God created, and he created two things in this verse. We have the heaven, and we have the earth. Now, the next verse is going to tell us that the earth was without form and void. So, the way I look at these two things, we already said in the beginning we found time. What, do, what genre do we find in heaven. Yes, space. We find space. This word 
is space. Now, when it says he created the heaven, it does not mean like he made himself a throne and sat on it, right? It's talking about the universe, the space, the spatial distance of the universe. Um, this word heaven in Hebrew is plural, and, and you know, some people translate it heavens. Um, and, and so the idea that I take from that is just when we think of the heavens, um, we don't think of heaven where God lives, right? We think of the stars, the sky, and that's how I understand this term here. He created the heaven, and then it says he created the earth. And this is what? What genre is this now? We have time, we have space, and with earth we have? Close. Matter. We have matter. So you have time, you have space, and you have matter right here in the first verse. Now, for anyone who works in science, time, space, and matter is very important. Right? And you're like, well, this is a book of religion. It is a book of religion. But it's also a book that shows us how time, space, and matter came to be. And so, you know, I am not a scientist. I'm not good at science. I'm going to teach this as best I can. But I just want to say the Bible does not mislead science. You know what I actually want to say about the Bible and science is I'm willing to give science enough time to catch up to the Bible. That's what I want to say about it. Because science is like, oh, we know this, and we know this, and we know this. And I can read the Bible and say, I know this, and sooner or later, science will catch up to that. And um, at, one, at some points in time, they didn't have nearly as many problems with it as they do now. And so there is a faith element, with regardless of your approach, you always have faith. And so some people set faith and science at odds, and they're not. We won't get too deep in that today, but... So it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, there's one word that we haven't focused very much on in this verse so far. And what word would that be? The. Oh, boy, I love it. The. Try a bigger word. Try a different word in there. Created. Created. And this word created is a word that speaks of action, right? Creation tells us that there was an action that was taken. Now we compare this word, uh, we could compare it with the next verse um, where it says the Spirit of God moved, the word moved on the face of the water. But for now, we'll just look at it under created. And this moving or this creation speaks of what genre? What? Action, yes. I was thinking of a more scientific word. And that is energy. Energy. And specifically, if we were doing science class, we might say kinetic energy, which is energy of motion. Time began. Energy began. Space began. Matter began. What did not begin? God. God did not begin. He always was. And so, everything that we hold dear started right here. Your house is built of space and matter and energy. The fact that we, we have a birth date, and we have a birthday, what does that reflect? Time. All of these little pieces that sometimes we don't even think about our life is built up of these little pieces, right? God made all of that, and it started on that moment where he 
birthed all of this into existence. And what this does to us, just this one verse of scripture, you know what it does? It does a lot of things if we'll meditate on it. But one of the things it does to me is it gives me, I think, some humility. Some humility. The God who actually made time, and then the idea that my time is not the Lord's. Like, he, he's the one that made such a thing as time. And he's the one that gave me breath. And we haven't even gotten to the body being created yet. But, but to exist, to have space, and to have matter, something that exists in reality, and to have energy, all these things that we so often take for granted are straight from the hand of God, straight from the mouth of God, right? He spoke. Um, but I think this verse gives me some humility if I'll meditate on it. I'm not eternal. God is. I had a beginning. God did not. I'm limited on time. God is not. I have this much energy. God can do as he pleases, right? And I think it helps us in this area of humility. I think it also helps us in this area of worship. Because how often do we take these things for granted, right? And there are some things that are so banal and so obvious and so daily that we don't thank God for them. But this verse kind of takes me back to the, the little foundational building blocks of life and says, I'm the God that did that. Don't I deserve your worship? Don't I deserve the praise you give me? And, um, you know, a few hours on a Sunday is but little pitiance when we think of creating energy, time, space, and matter. So this is our God, and I hope it calls for a response in your heart. I hope it moves you to humility and it moves you to worship. Um, all right, so questions, comments, and thoughts on Genesis 1-1. Joanna is Mike running, so Debbie will be first. Anyone after Debbie? All right, go ahead. I wanted to know what Babel is. Babylon? No, Babel. Is that the word? No, no. Um, so different categories. Geography? The geography category? Oh, okay, okay. So there's a section in Genesis, in, and it's actually, I think, in uh, 9, 10, 11, somewhere around there, where B-A, now I'm going to misspell it again, in honor of Babylon, misspell Babel. Babel is a story we'll get to as we go, but it was a time when humanity linked arms to go against God's plan, and they challenged, wait a minute, Babel was after the flood? Yeah, that's what I thought, Okay. So humanity worked together and they were going to build a tower, they said, that could reach up to God or up to the heavens. And they were gathering together in rebellion against God. And that is the time where God smote the earth. The idea is it was a form of judgment with different languages. So all the languages of the earth, or at least the, the root languages, were formed at Babel. And all these people are trying to build this tower and one day they just start speaking different languages to each other and they no longer can communicate. And so that's what divided up humanity and spread it around the earth. We'll get into that story as we get there. So Babel is a foundational story to explain where we got to how we are in 2023. So um, I guess I should, if you're real curious and you want to read ahead, I should give you the text. Um, it's in Genesis 11. Genesis 11 is where it unfolds. So, All right, um, who will be next? Genesis 1-1, are you next? Okay, you're just...
like, I know you haven't been into it. Sure. Like Dubai today. What? Like Dubai. Oh, like that, that city? I, I have not uh, given a specific location to Babylon. I know the, gen the general area is the Middle East, and it's, you know, to the uh, east side of Israel, certainly. Um, whether or not that's the city of it, I, I have not um, studied nor given great thought to that. Um, yes, there, the Bible does indicate there will be, a, like, a, a resurrection of Babylon, and kind of the question behind it is, is that in the literal place of the old Babylon, or is it the, na the national identity that's in that general area? Is it another city that takes that title or, you know, but, um, but it does seem based on other factors with prophecy and revelation things that that area of the, of the world is intended. So for instance, it says that they ship, they, the shipping will be, you know, it, shipping is involved in this judgment. And so, it seems that the city has to have connection to shipping, right? So it can't be some city far deep away from the ocean, you know. So, and there's other factors, but whether or not it's actually the city of Dubai, I have not um, considered. All right, any other questions, comments, and the like? Okay, let's do verse two, and then we'll probably stop here. Um, let, let me say, as we read Genesis 1, the whole chapter of Genesis 1, let me remind us that God is writing very broadly. He does not go into great detail, does he? Like, there's a lot wrapped up in these words, and there's a lot we can learn. So I'm not saying that there's not much to learn. That's very false. There's a lot to learn in Genesis 1. But what I mean is that even if, if you consider how much he writes about Abraham and what he writes about creation, I mean, he writes way more about Abraham than he does creation. And maybe to our minds, we might say, well, that seems a little backwards. Well, it's not backwards because God's doing it and he's doing all things well. I don't know all the reasons, but one reason I would suggest is that God wants us to know more when he says more. And we have more need to know more when he says more about something. So God is content for us to have two chapters on creation and a few references throughout. And that's sufficient. And it's good. And it's perfect. That's how he wants it. That's not to say we can't, you know, study what's here really in depth, and we should. And that's not to say that we can't learn things in the science realm and, you know, draw connections or see how that fits into this. Nothing wrong with any of that. But some people really try to read things in to Genesis 1. And a lot of it, I think, is driven by scientific theories and evolution and different things. And they want to run to the Bible and be like, now how can I synthesize Genesis 1 and, you know, millions of years and people have worked really hard to try to match up millions of years with Genesis 1 when the only, the Bible never, ever, anywhere mentions millions of years. That phrase does not appear in the Bible, millions of years. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but as I've read the Bible, I've never come across the phrase millions of years. I know I've never come across the phrase billions of years. Um, but the point is, that we read the scripture first and we hold the scripture above all other things. And anything we try to connect to it has to be in line with scripture. So I say all that to say, some people have tried to insert things between verse one and verse two. And they're like, yeah, God created the heaven and the earth. And then it evolved for millions of years. And in verse two, the earth was without form and void. Well, you got to keep reading and connect it all together. Because according to verse one, we have space and we have matter, and 
That's all it says. We have space and we have matter, verse 1. But if you keep reading, there's no light, there's no plants, there's no animals, there's no nothing until we get further down, right? And, and I mean, there are theories that are so absurd as between verse 1 and 2, they have a whole created earth and then the fall comes and then God smashes it all and starts over with verse 2. Well, that's totally making stuff up, right? Like the Bible never puts all that in there. And that's where we have to just read the Bible, let it speak, let it be the authority and not try to synthesize with everything else. So verse 2 says, the earth was without form and void. Now, the word earth was found in verse 1. So in verse 1, God created the heaven, God created the earth. But verse 2 tells us that the earth was without form. And then it says void. Now that's kind of funny sounding, isn't it? It was without form and then it was void. Well, void, what does the word void mean? Wiped out. I think empty is more the meaning here. And that tells me that the earth of verse 1 didn't have anything in it. It was empty. There was nothing but space and matter. It was unformed and it was empty. So in my brain, I see dirt and I see sky and I see nothing else. And this is almost sort of a, if I could say it's sort of like an outline, because in days one through three, we have God bringing into existence new things and forming, forming things together. But then in days four through six, you have him filling the earth with things, animals, plants, humans, right? So the emptiness problem is resolved in days four through six. The without form issue is addressed in days one through three. And we have God building up and turning this earth into something worth living in. Um, you know, on our earth we have beaches and we have mountains and we have grasslands and we have all the varieties that we have. After day one, or after verse one, I should say, there was none of that. It was nothing like that. Um, it was just dirt. Um, so, I, again, I wasn't there, so I'm not trying to read in or say I know, but as we go further, we see the other elements added in. And even with the firmament, which we'll talk about next week, we see God actually beginning to form the earth like we know it. I personally wonder if, after verse 1, if there was even a globe, per se. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. But it says it was without form. I tend to think that when it says that it was without form, that it wasn't even round then at that point. I believe that, I believe God made it round as he formed the other parts, the sky and so on, the firmament. The thing about that is, well, one thing I want to say is, one reason I know the earth is round is I've flown all the way around it. So that's one way I know it. And I know it in reality now because I have actually flown all the way around it. That was one cool thing from our trip. Um, but yes, the, the globe aspect, I think, comes further down because it says without form. 
And so even if you think of the world, and you know people talk about the perfect balance of the axis and the perfect distance from the sun, that's all by God's design. And the, the globe that we have that gives us days and that goes around and gives us seasons, like the perfect setup by the hand of God is so obvious in one sense. But in the other sense, it's just that God is showcasing his majesty and his perfection you know, to do it. The circle of the earth. Pangea. Right. The circle of the earth. <laughs> yeah. And that's where, that's where I remind people of two things. The Bible is not a science book. It's not a book of science. It has science in it. But the thing that I also tell people is the Bible never lies. And so any area that it speaks to science, it always speaks accurately. Always. And the Bible is never going to mislead someone scientifically. So the, now, you, your understanding might be wrong of something, right? But that's not the Bible misleading you. That's just your mind. But uh, one of the things that, and this is somewhat superfluous to the text, but one of the stories was about someone discovering the trade winds and the currents in, in the sea. And the Bible had already talked about the paths of the sea. And, you know, even how the Bible there made reference to something that later people would say, oh, yeah, there's this, you know, if you go this route, it's always going to take you. It's always going to go this way. And, um, and so that's a good example of it's not as though reading that verse would inform you of everything you need to know about trade routes or, you know, the, the trade winds or the, the trade currents. No, but the point is that the Bible accurately matches up with science, right? So, um, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll say more about that topic as we work through this, but um, I am thankful. I am thankful that I live today and not 100 years ago for multiple reasons. One reason is there was a time where a lot of pastors were not willing to say some of these things like this, and they, they said, well, science and the Bible both have to be right, so we have to mix evolution into Genesis 1. The longer time has gone on, the more and more science has confirmed some of the things here, but what has been needed is Christian scientists to draw some of those lines and to point out some of those connections. Because when Darwin's theory first came on the scene, it really took over quick. And there was a lot of pastors and ministers who were pushed back on their feet kind of like oh oh what are you gonna do you know oh no and that's where the more and more I study the Bible I'm just like Bible rules like I don't care what you're talking about the Bible rules and if it's economics or science or politics or you know geography I don't care what it is the Bible is true and everything else just has to catch up to it and you know in more recent times, there have been a lot of Christian science work, people that have taught and explained and studied and seen. And the more we learn of science, uh, properly so-called, it integrates and it supports the scripture instead of contradicting and tearing it down. All right, well, uh, any final questions or comments? Uh, Joe, if you could run with the mic to Deborah, and anyone after Deborah with a question or comment? All right, Brother Jeremiah and Sister Esther. Speaking corporately for the church here. Um, you said evolution is a theory and it's been taught so much for so long that people take it back to like, oh, well, that's science.
Yes. Yes. Also, when it says the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Ah, we didn't really get to that, did we? Were the waters part of the earth? Or was that their... We'll get to that next week. Okay. That's a good question. Is it on? Okay. All right, who's next? Uh, let's do Pastor Jeremiah next. Back to that um, that idea of the shape of the earth. Yes. And I know it's somewhat pointless, but... That's okay. I, I do think it would be a little strange if God created the whole heaven and all, everything is shaped but then the earth is just this flat thing. I, I do think he created it globularly. Okay. And then later, the I mean, if, he, if he finished everything else, but then he just left the earth But flat. he hadn't, but he hadn't. When it says he created the heaven, I understand that to mean space, as in he created the concept of space. Okay, so not the actual planets? No, that, that's later. The stars come later. That's They're created true. later. Okay. That's what Good I was point. going at. So, um, you know, that doesn't mean that it was or was not a circle or flat or any of that. But my only thing is just that the stars were created later. So, so that part is still coming in the story. Uh, Esther. This uh, study of verse 2 is really interesting to me because I've, you know, I've taught the kids and I've, we've talked about how this would be interesting. But um, I never could understand verse 2. And so we just kind of really quick went over it. Okay. <laughs> Um, and I used to get mixed up, like, he was just saying about, like, the order of the, events, the world being shaped, and, and then, like, well, God says he, he made light, but when does, how come God made sun, then, if he already made light? Yes. And, but when you were dividing that there, just the, um, without form and void? Yeah, the, without mm -hmm. the form, and then separating void. Yes. It, it, I have to think about that, because... I've never thought about like the the world God's creating like it wasn't shaped you know yeah. like sometimes um, creation like kids do the videos for kids will try to recreate how yeah. this is one you know yes and they have these like things floating around and then you know it's really fast and it's all dark and and it's just kind of like a staticky thing on the on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, but the concept of like the world being flat and just dirt I don't know it's just very it's kind of exciting to think about yeah it and I mean even that is theory right because we don't know what it looked like I mean it could have been randing particles floating right and then God put them together you know so who knows he created heavens he created earth you know there's still theory going on but I think um, anyway artists will take, you know, a, a mat and, and they'll start with nothing and yeah. then they add right. to it. And that's the way I was thinking about this. And then you said that it's without form and then he, he put shapes in it uh -huh. and then he fills it with mm -hmm. yep. objects. Filled it up. Yeah. All right. Uh, Deborah. And then after uh, Deborah is Brother Stanley. When you said about little particles floating around, it just made me think of the verse, and by him all things were created, and by him all things Consist. Held together. Yes, Consist. held together. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, all right. Brother Starin will be next. Who knew we could get so many questions out of one and a half verses of the Bible? That's okay. 
Yes, which I'm, I'm going to get to that, but yes. I know that's a big thing, you know, yeah. Okay. Because Genesis just, yeah, the book of Jonah, that's part of the Pentateuch, you know, the first five books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. But actually, Jonah's the oldest book in the, in the Bible. Right. So, I mean, how it just works. At least that's what I think. So, I mean, so when you read it that way, it kind of, if you read Job before Genesis, it kind of mm -hmm. opens up some things. And I don't know what else. Okay. Very good. Anyone else? All right. Well, let's close in prayer. And if you want to read ahead, you know where to read, okay? Turn to page one of your Bible. Turn to the second verse, and uh, we'll pick up there next Sunday. Um, let's bow. Uh, Brother Stan, would you close us, please? Amen.